Today, we're going to take things in a bit of a different route. A while back, I was asked to be a guest on Bree Gordon's podcast called A Mindful Mentor. Bree reached out to me and we had such an amazing in-depth conversation that I wanted to share it here with the I Know I'm Crazy audience. Without further ado, The Mindful Mentor interviews Naja Hall. I know I'm crazy. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are listening to The Mindful Mentor. I'm your host, Bree Gordon, and I can barely contain myself today, basically. I love all of my interviews. I love all of my interviewees, and each time I know I start by saying I'm so excited, but I don't know if I've ever fangirled on this podcast before, and I think that might be what is happening today. Do you ever have the experience of when you're listening to a podcast or maybe following a social media account and without knowing someone personally, just feel so incredibly seen and heard? It's such an interesting feeling when you're like, hey, folks in my inner circle maybe aren't really getting what I'm going through right now, but this stranger on the internet uh, or, or publishing a podcast just really understands what I'm going through and is able to give me the advice that I need in that moment. And I am really excited to say that uh, that person for me is my guest today, which is really, really awesome. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, with my lead in here because I really want to bring her in so that you can get as much benefit out of listening to Ms. Naja Hall speak as possible. So Naja Hall is a problem solver, a content creator, an entrepreneur. You may have seen her beautiful face on Today. You may have read her about her work in Stepmom Magazine. She's been featured on iHeartRadio in Essence. And I just want to tell you a little bit about her before we start this conversation that I'm so excited about today. So Naja Hall has launched Blended in Black in 2016, and it has grown into the largest community for millennials and step families. Her podcast, I Know I'm Crazy, is a leader in the family and kids category on iTunes. Definitely check that out. She has amassed a community of about over 100,000 through her social media, private email list, and curated events. In 2019, she launched a wildly successful platform, VIP Stepmom, a membership website for women that are in relationships with men and kids. So this was my introduction to Naja when I was brand new into the world of step parenting or even before being a formal step parent, being in a relationship with a man with kids. And I was hungry for resources. I was just Googling everything possible and got connected with some really great different platforms, blogs, social media accounts, and tried some different podcasts out. And and they're good. You know, they give some advice. They, you know, give some scenarios. But Naja's podcast, I know I'm crazy. And yes, even from that name, I connected with it. <laughs> it was so validating and it was so real and raw. So Naja, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and have this conversation with me today. I appreciate it. I am so happy to be here. And girl, I was cheesing and grinning through that introduction that you gave me. I was like, yeah. <laughs> 
That's <laughs> awesome. I, I have to tell you, because I'm reminded of this story, and I think I may have sent you an Instagram DM. I think I may have gotten brave and sent you my first DM after this story. <laughs> I was flying. I can't remember where. But everybody, if you don't know already, you need to go back after this, after you listen to this, check out the pot, her podcast, I Know I'm Crazy, and you'll know what I'm talking about by this distinctive theme music. It is like plugging the guitar into the amp, getting that feedback. It's raw, it's edgy, and it is just, I know I'm crazy, right? Which is yes. awesome. And fire it up when you have your headphones on, not when you forget to put your headphones on and you're on a plane. And that <laughs> is playing at top volume. And you realize literally several minutes in that everyone around you can hear what you yes. think with your headphones. <laughs> that's why I make it so loud. So it can be intrusive to people because that's kind of what, you know, my life has become and, and dealing with this whole blended and step family thing. So I was like, you know what? When I told the guy that was making my theme song, I know I'm crazy with Naja Hall. I was like, dude, make it like um, smells like teen spirit mixed yes. with like death metal. I was like, make it hard and loud and, and something that's totally the antithesis of what people would think I would open up to. And I love it. Like, yeah, that, that theme song is, that's one of my faves. Like, are you also a music therapist? That's an amazing description. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, you put that a, together. That's awesome. Yeah. Literally not at all, but I so admire what you do though. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I it's so interesting to see how the roles that we take in our life, whether we choose them or not, know what to expect or not, do affect the work that we do. And I know that there's a lot of yes. crossover for you as well in that. So I'd love if you could just start by sharing a little bit about yourself, your background, and what led you to becoming a leader in this space. Jeez, I mean, I don't even think I could do better than what you did telling about me, but let me try. <laughs> hey, peeps, I'm Naja Hall. Like Bree said, I am a step family coach. I'm one of these folks you call a master step family coach. And that just means I have a couple extra letters behind my name, but um, I married my husband, Tony, in 2016. And I've never lied about our circumstance from the time I had the misfortune, and I always joke about this, from the time that me and his previous life had the misfortune of bumping into one another. It was not fun. I don't do this job because I have a positive stepmothering experience. I don't do this job to give people the Skittles and rainbows and purple stars. I do this job because I literally found my way, sometimes crawled and scratched and peered my way through turmoil and conflict and pain um, that was not of my own creation. And so it's my, it's, I'm really dead set on helping other people to reach that other side of the mountain, whether they created their circumstance or whether they're just kind of a victim of a ready-made family that they found themselves in. Oh, there's so much in this, what we create for ourselves and what we didn't and understanding the difference between the two. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I remember when I first got with my husband, there was this old lady and he and I weren't married yet. Um, well, this old lady, she was like, well, Naja, you got to marry him? I was like, you know, I, I think so. If he asked me, she was like, well, you're going to be in, in a ready-made family. And I was so offended by that. I don't know why, but I was just like, oh, lady, you better shut the hell up. Like, I don't know why that 
that hurt my feelings because you know I never imagined just like every woman in my position you don't when you're a little girl you ain't dreaming about being a stepmom to somebody's kids you know like the only thing I knew about stepmoms was Walt Disney really painted a real bad picture for all of us and I I did not want to be that wicked witch because Miss Naja's a queen but I ain't no evil queen <laughs> and um you know when she told me I would be entering a ready-made family that just it kind of was like a punch in the chest somebody is telling you hey honey this thing is already set up you don't control anything you're just gonna have to get in where you fit in and that was not a good feeling for me uh, and my ego Mm-hmm. And a lot of this role has been talking to and calming my own ego, which sure. is something that I find a lot of people simply fail at doing. People can live their entire lives without properly learning to check their egos. And you can, you'll know those people. You can tell yeah. by the type of relationships that they have with other people. It's so funny you bring that up. I was listening to um... – Lewis Howe's School of Greatness, and he had an interview mm. with Jay Shetty, and they were talking about ego. And I'm like, man, I would love to just do like a whole episode on that because, you know, it gets a bad rap, right? And there's absolutely so many times that that comes into our lives and, and has a threat to disturb our relationships, both with ourselves and with others. But it's not all bad, right? We need to balance the benefits of ego and how it, it serves us. But boy, in, in this relationship that you're describing, oh, get, you got to figure out, what did you say, how to get in to fit in? What? Nick, I don't know what I say, girl, oh, but something I, like that. I should have written I, it down. But that's yeah. the thing. I never know what I say. That's what I tell, that's what I tell people. I'm a, like, if I was a battle rapper, I'd be a freestyle rapper. Like, you get it one time and that's it. I don't know what I said after that. <laughs> that's awesome. But you're so right. And like, when you said however you eloquently said it um, you got to get in where you fit in get in yeah, where you fit in that that gives me anxiety right because i'm like it does. Oh, wait just where i fit like okay. where do i fit what where if do i, I fit don't in? fit what if they don't want me there like all these yes. you we will what if ourselves to death yeah and that's almost what i did what if the kids hate me what if it never works Da-da-da-da. and i have a really good husband a really good partner who um sees the world a little bit differently than I do. And he really kind of helps set the tone for my attitude about all this. I don't know if you know who this is, but I talk about her work a lot. I'm a big fan. I've gone to see her speak a couple times and she's definitely going to be on my podcast speaking that into existence. Um, yes. Just like I spoke name. you into mine. <laughs> ha- exactly. See, things can happen. So yeah. it's Dr. Shivali is her name and she's on okay. Oprah's book club and she writes about parenting and early childhood and overcoming trauma but mostly parenting and she says that being a parent is one of the most egotistical roles that you can ever have in your life and honey when she said that parents were pissed they're like how could loving my child be related to my ego that is my child and and she was like you see i said that you see how defensive and upset you get and you said my 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 she was like number one that child is not yours she was like, that child, you were simply a vessel for this child to come from whatever you believe they came from, whether that's the heavens or whatever you call it. She was like, that, you were simply this child's vessel. And you are the person that is going to be their caretaker for about 18-ish, 20 years. After that, you have to release them out into the world. The most successful parents are the ones that understand that from the jump. Like, hey, this kid, I am simply their overseer. I am their guide. And I just have to pray and hope that I've um, formed them with enough knowledge to when they go out into this cold, hard world, that they're going to go know how to navigate it themselves. But you got a lot of parents that don't see it like that. 
they feel like they got to be all up in everything that their kids do. They have to be the strongest influence. You want to take it even further, you got some narcissistic parents that enmesh themselves with their children. And so when she said that, that kind of changed my view of healthy parenting. And I saw that my husband was a very healthy parent. He knows how to teach and instill and be impactful and influential. But he understands that these little humans, their names are not Tony. They have their own names, their own identities. And the thing that happens in a lot of blended families, especially those of us that have experienced conflict, is there's a parent who cannot separate their child from their own ego. They're both very closely tied. And if you're a stepmom dealing with a biological mother that's like that, then honey, you in for it. You know, your behind is, it's going to be tough for you to find your place in this ready-made family because she is going to make sure that there's no place for you. And that's, you know, that's kind of where the, that's where I come in. Miss Naja makes sure that you carve out your own lane exactly where you want it to be. And normally it's smack dab in the middle of that old household and a new household. Ooh, yes. That's and a lot, thank right? Goodness. It, it is a lot, <laughs> but honestly, because you are so straightforward in how you give your delivery and you aren't given those Skittles and rainbows, like you said, nah. and, I, and I was watching your um, Instagram live uh, oh, okay. last night where you were talking about, you know, that, that might receive some criticism, right? Like, but, yeah. but I just got married and this is my happily ever after. And you're supposed to tell me, come on, mm -hmm. you're the coach. You're supposed to pump me up, be my cheerleader. Tell me this is going to be amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and how, how do you respond to someone like that? I mean, in, not even just step parenting, but just in general, someone who's looking Man. for that reassurance. You know, what the, the Instagram, the thing that what she's referring to is I have been given the advice from other, uh, maybe some influencers, experts um, that, hey, you know, you might not want to share all the bad stuff that happens because it will loosen your validity as an expert. And I was like, so you want me to lie to people? You want me to go, you want me to tell people that my life is absolutely perfect and to try to sell them a perfect life. And when they pay me all this money and spend all this time investing in what I say, they realize it's a lie. I was like, so I, I was like, that's not why I do this. I don't need money that bad. I don't need it at all. As a matter of fact, pretty good. I was like, but that's not, that's not my why. You know, I, I imagine some of these people, you know, just think of Muhammad Ali. I think he's one of the greatest boxers. In, in history. Just imagine if his sparring partner never hit him back. Muhammad Ali would go into that ring thinking, you know what, I'm going to go and, and, and try to fight for my belt. He's going to go in that ring thinking he's not going to get punched in the face. Let's just say he's fighting Mike Tyson. I know it's two totally different eras. And then Iron Mike comes out and punches him in the face 20 times and he's going to look over at his coach and be like, dude, why did you tell me it was going to be like this? Mm -hmm. Mike Tyson just ate my ass alive. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing. That's the approach that I take with my clients. I, I want them to develop this very thick, impenetrable shell, yet still be extremely compassionate, empathetic individuals. And it takes some work, but I've developed a system. It's what I do with my own life. I, I wouldn't teach people something that I have not practiced and that I don't practice on a daily basis because I know it works. And at this point, thousands of other people, families, men and women, know that it works. That's the key, right? That authenticity of practicing what you preach and also having the grace and the grace on yourself and the honesty to your, your listeners to say, sometimes I miss the mark too. 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I think that the more that we're human in admitting that, um, the more that it encourages others to embrace that in themselves. Yes, yes. And just kind of teach them to to swim. You know, I want people to be prepared to to handle all sorts of different scenarios. And you do that sometimes trial by fire. This, those of us that are kind of smart, we learn by watching the mistakes of others. And so when I talk to people, I always ask them, so tell me where you went wrong. <laughs> where did you mess up? Where'd you bump your head? You know, what if you had it to do over again, what would you have done? And the, those of us that are kind of smart, we know to listen to them because who wants to bump their head unnecessarily? Right, right. So you mentioned empathy. When it comes to, and self-awareness, surely we got out of the gate with talking about getting our ego in check. You know, when it comes to parenting in general, and, and obviously um, the lane that we, we specialize in, in experiencing and, and you specialize in coaching in is step parenting. Where do these themes of, of self-awareness and empathy, how do they fit within this role? Oh my God. So I made this post one time and it got a lot of traction. And I, I believe, I, I, I'm not going to quote myself because you know, I told you I forget what I say, but it goes something like this. It says, becoming a stepmother or a step parent can unearth a lot of your own childhood traumas. And that's what it did for me. There were some memories. And, and, and by the way, my parents are still married. They've been married 44 years, I think. Wow. Yeah. And so I grew up seeing two individuals just, you know, they were kids when they started out, just learning how to work it, work it out. And when I entered my step family, I, I kind of feel like all of my greatest fears that I had as a kid came into fruition through my stepkids because I remember being a kid and my parents would argue and I, and I would be like, Oh my God, please don't let them get a divorce. That'd be the end of my life. Like it would be so awful. And my stepkids are children that actually had to experience a quite contentious divorce. They saw some things that they should not have seen. They heard some things that they shouldn't have heard. And some of that stuff I was a witness to, and it kind of just snatched me back into feeling like this helpless kid. And it was, I don't know, it was just such a, that, that opened up an immense amount of compassion for them. And while I never pretend to know what it must have felt like, especially for the older one, I never pretend to know what it must have felt like for her. I can kind of, I remember these memories and these fears that I had, but you know, it took an extra step with her because it actually is her darn life. You know, she's, experienced parents living in two different households and had step parents introduced and had to go through feeling unsure and feeling um, a loyalty tie to one parent as opposed to the other. And um, I think that's, that's one of the things that really helps me to be very patient and very empathetic with them because, you know, the kids, they didn't ask for any of this crap. Literally none of it. These the, us adults are the ones that went and flubbed and, like I said, we're their overseers for now, but look at what their overseers are doing. And so me, I can only control myself. My husband, I know he's good. You know, we just make sure that we are making the best of their experience, their childhood experience. Absolutely. I think that helps me so much as well as is bringing the focus back to that. You know, the self-awareness piece for me, I have to watch myself because, you know, I have experienced, um, you know, separation, divorce, and step family, mm. um, parent loss, loyalty binds, childhood oh. trauma, all this stuff. So when I'm 
on kind of the outside looking into this situation, I tend to overextend my experience and project that on, well, we mm. should really be looking out for X, Y, and Z because I know this could happen. And I really have to keep myself in check of like, well, Brie, that's your story. You yeah. Know? That's yeah. your journey. That's not necessary. It might be, but it's not really my job to figure that out right now. Yep. Ooh, you know? That's a tough part. Yeah. That's a tough one. I, I hear from a lot of step parents, especially they, they come and it's, they think that they are expressing sympathy for their stepkids because they're like, oh my God, you know, this could happen. And I really hate that their mother is doing this or their father is doing this and it's going to ruin their lives. And I'm like, wait, 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 you got to separate what your experience was. Cause it, like you said, you know, we project sure. our stuff onto these kids. Yeah. I'm like, you got to separate what you thought was going to happen with this child. You got to separate your own experience. And this is this child's journey. Yep. This is literally their life. Cause I was like, you know, you never know you're interrupting something. I said, by ha having a mother that is super high conflict or a father that is absent, this is going to be the reason why they become who they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the greatest thinkers and look, like, if, if Barack Obama's father was actually in his life, <laughs> he would not have probably been the guy that we know today. We wouldn't have known yeah. him. Just, he just, you know, like if, if he had, had not had those experiences, if, 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 you know, I can think of so many great leaders and Oprah, thinkers. my goodness. Look at her if journey. Oprah had, dear God, she got <laughs> pregnant at 14 years yeah. old. Yeah. She, I mean, like, dear, like, look at people like that who have had what we perceive as struggles that some right. unimaginable to some of us. These people became who they are because of their experiences. And so the hard part for a lot of us that get to observe, because as a step parent, you kind of just, you kind of just, you know, in an observation role, even if you are a custodial step parent and they live with you, you there's still more observation that you're going to do because these kids aren't going to really trust you as far as being in the parental role for about, you know, statistics say five to seven years. Um, so yeah, it's like a lot of it, your job is to just sit and observe and direct don't try to jump in and change. Don't feel sorry for these kids. This is literally their life. And you don't want to raise little victims. Mm. You don't want these kids to be like, well, my mom is dead. My mom's not here. Like, come on. You're like, listen, honey, this is like, this is the cards that, uh, this is the hand that life has dealt you. And we're going to make this awesome. You can make it awesome or you can just cry about it and not get over it. But we got to move on. Life is too full and enjoyable for you to um, stay in this place of being somebody's victim a victim of divorce, a victim of your mother or your father. You know, let's, we, we have to build on top of that. How are you going to use that to create a beautiful story? The, look at some of the leading child psychologists in the world. They do this work because they had awful childhood experiences. Yeah. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that they would go back and be like, oh, it was worth it. But look at what, look at the good that they've done to change the world. So that's what I try to encourage adults and kids to do. Like, yeah. honey, this is your experience. You got to lean into it, lean into all of that, sit there and wade in it and make sure you come out, fight to come scratch. Like I said earlier, when we first started, fight and scratch and, and peel to come out better. I think that's why I have a podcast so that I don't drive the people in my life nuts with all this stuff that I feel like <laughs> I'm projecting on that. I'm like, you know, all right, I'll lay off you guys. I'll just talk into a mic and 
we did a <laughs> we did an episode um uh, a couple episodes ago and it was me and a couple of my good friends that I've had for years we were talking about Myers Briggs and the Enneagram and all these different personality indexes and knowing yourself and how that helps you show up and uh yeah everything I know about myself in addition to you know I'm, I'm really open about being in you know recovery from codependency as well everything yeah. I know about myself is that the role as a step parent is I, I'm fighting I'm fighting what I know that I, I need to do right it is because I want to take uh, not take control um, maybe maybe that is a little bit of it but but to to help, like from how I perceive helping is, is like yep. being in there, being instrumental, uh, orchestrating to things. some people that's overbearing, you know, like everybody would, doesn't yeah, want that. Absolutely. And, and I don't even think it's in most cases appropriate in that role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I said, being a step parent has been one of the things that's made, that's hurt me disappointed me but it's made me grow the most and i, I kind of feel like god throws things at you for those of you that believe in this this this, this guy called god kind of throws things at you so that he can make you the person that he meant for you to be for this 80 or 90 years that we have to walk this good green earth you know and i think this is just kind of one of the things that he threw at me like all right Naja, i'm gonna throw this at you it's gonna get you on or off course and you're gonna start to become what I meant for you to be when I put you here. You know, I, I do see it as like a part of a greater good and a greater plan. That's one of the things I tell myself anyway. Does your partner share kids with a loony? Are your stepkids driving you up a wall? Is your partner failing miserably at setting boundaries? Well, VIP Stepmom is where you need to be. We're an exclusive private community just for stepmoms, and we'd love for you to join our tribe. Each month, our members enjoy private conversations, podcasts, expert workshops, a subscription to Stepmom Magazine, and monthly live Zoom meetings. If you're ready to join a diverse community that is committed to making sure you live your best life, visit VIP Stepmom today. We'll save a seat for you. VIP, VIP, Stepmoms, that's you and me. Yep. No, I think that's beautiful. Absolutely. I, I want to switch gears slightly um, just yeah. to talk about uh, something you posted, shared on social media that I loved. Um, and, I, and I know I just couldn't help myself but reach out to you right away from <laughs> it because I think that it extends beyond uh, how we show up in, in a blended family and can just relate to every relationship we're in. And it was something to the effect of those that grew up in a, a household or an environment of love are going to show up in relationship different than those that grew up in an environment of survival. Oof. Oh my God. Yeah. So what, what know, made you write that? Where, where did that come from? I was watching one of these animal rescue shows and there were some feral cats <laughs> and, and these cat, like the, the guy was trying to tame the cat and he had this beautiful loving owner. The owner had bought him like a scratching post and the gourmet cat food. And he would try to feed the cat and the cat would scratch his eyeballs out. Like he showed, and it's not funny, but I kind of equate this to us humans. I was like, damn. Mm -hmm. I was like, that cat has been raised in the streets, in the jungle. He didn't know when his next meal was coming. He had to, he or she had to, literally just fight to survive. They never got to relax. And you know, as, as human beings, if we kind of take it over to human beings, as human beings, we're not built to be in constant 
flight mode. We're not because that's that's how that's why we have high blood pressure, um, you know, anxiety. Like this is why we have all this stuff because our bodies are not. And you're a music therapist, so I know you well versed, and you know all this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we're not meant to live in a constant state of stress. And when I saw those feral cats, I was like, damn, dude. I was like, this owner has given him the best home he's ever had. He gave him a bath. He got rid of all the ticks mm-hmm. that were literally eating his flesh. He's given him food so he doesn't have to eat out of the trash. And this cat cannot accept that his environment has changed and that he has a human that wants to love him. And so when we come across individuals like that, that I say they were raised in the jungle, they were raised in the wild, it's the same thing. And God bless you if you're a person that's trying to love on one of those individuals because they don't know how. They literally do not have the capacity of the tools to accept love in the way that you're presenting it to them because they They've been surviving. They've been taught that they got to fight for their next meal. Nothing is going to love them. As a matter of fact, they probably believe inherently that they are unworthy of love. And how can you love a person that just knows beyond their truth is I am unworthy. I don't deserve love. I am nothing. Mm. Like this is what these people are built on. And you know, if you try to love one of these people, number one, they're going to think you a liar. They're going to think you're insulting their intelligence because They know for a fact they're unworthy, they are not deserving of love, and they are nothing. Like, they know this about themselves. So here you come, pouring them all this love, they're going to fight you. You're going to get scratched. You're going to scratch your eyeballs out. You're going to get your heart broken. Um, And so the the tough part about it is with humans, it gets kind of tricky to determine initially who was loved on, who was raised on survival. Because they, they wear really good faces. They blend in with the rest of us. And that's it. That's kind of the part where it's like, you know, where you have to really get to know a person. You got to ask the right questions. Because, honey, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself in love and stuck. Yeah. And then you'll become a person that's just trying to survive your human experience. Because you've gotten with a person that was raised on survival. You know, that's a really important message for anyone in a non-biological parenting role, you know, adoption, foster step, when you are coming into someone's life and not fully understanding everything that they've been through and feeling like I'm failing, right? Like I'm doing everything. I provided, you know, the best environment I knew how. I'm trying to be compassionate. I'm trying to have empathy where is this fight coming from? And it can feel like a failure if you don't look at it from the perspective that you're sharing. Yeah. Yeah. And even in your romantic relationships, I mean, how many of us have unsuspectedly fallen for this beautiful creature they had on a nice suit or she had a great pair of legs. And then all of a sudden you try to give them love. And that's when they begin their mission to crush you. Because now you're trying to insult their intelligence. They know they're not worthy of love. They've done all these things. And people like that that are raised on survival, they're really good at hiding it because they have to have a little bit extra. Maybe they're extra smart. They're stronger, faster. They have more material things. They're the loudest people in the room. You know, because they have to do all these things as a shroud so that, <clears throat> so that we don't know, that we're not able to tell that inherently they believe that they are just devoid of value. They don't want us to see that. And they do a lot of things. They say a lot of good words to get us, you know. 
You know, I shared this story. Um, I did an episode with my husband because the only person I could talk to was great sound <laughs> quality, you know, and we're quarantined together. And, <laughs> and he's, a, he's a financial advisor. And so he had a, a lot of great advice. He's been super busy during this time because, you know, people either have more time to think about their finances or their life insurance, things like that, or, or you know, they're faced with their own mortality. Yeah. Time. So, you know, I shared this story on that podcast a moment that I absolutely went into a, a trauma response based on a time when I was raised on survival. And, mm. you know, my mom, you know, for the most part, it, it's just kind of been me and my mom and she worked three to four jobs. And, you know, our, our home life was, I was always safe. I always had food. We always had a home, but it was definitely survival mode. And so, you know, from a young age, starting at like 12, I started helping her clean houses and helping out with, you know, as much as I could financially. And so when this all happened and, you know, my business took an immediate hit and finances weren't exactly what they were before, the, you know, the coronavirus, mm. all this, I went into this trauma response of, mm. that I was so unaware that I even... You didn't know you were doing it. I didn't even know. I wasn't even realized I could be activated in that way. And I just kind of watched my husband think, but, but Hey, I'm, I'm working and you know, you're okay. <laughs> like, Ooh, yeah. You know, where is That's this coming scary. from? And it was mm. really interesting, but you know what, because of the work that I've done, you know, I, I was able to recognize it immediately and talk through it and process it. And we could, you know, I, I could share where that was coming from and we could kind of move on. And I could tell myself, you're safe. You're in this beautiful home. You have a partner that is a teammate with you. You're going to get through it. It's going to be okay. Yeah. That's something about trauma. It's, I feel like it, it kind of gets ingrained in our DNA, you know, mm -hmm. and the okay thing, if, if we can say there's any good things about trauma is there's some of us that have done the work to understand its roots and I feel like if you understand the foundation of something then you can take it apart when you need to and I, um, I say this a lot I kind of equate it to the you know you get a toy train when you're a kid and you know you got some of those inquisitive kids that want to take it apart and see the gears and take the wheels off and put it back together well for those of us that are on the other side of healing we've had a, this doesn't mean that we haven't had trauma or that we're perfect we just understand our trauma because we've taken apart we understand the exact moment when it was put in us we understand that it was a damn lie that someone put into us because of their own pain and we know how to compartmentalize it and what to do with it so it sounds like that's what you did mm -hmm. you're like all right and you have a good partner he reminded you like hey i'm here my husband yeah. has to do that for me too though it's right. like, hey, babe, like, we're good. You know that, right? Like, like it's okay. You don't have to, because my parents had a money thing. You know, my, I was raised just not abundant with money. And we had money growing up, but it was always, um, you know, we didn't live a life of excess at all. And so when I've seen my husband who loves excess, I'm just like, dude, why would you buy that belt? Why would you buy that shoe? Like, we got to save it up for retirement. He's like, babe, we got it though. Calm down. And I realized, oh, Naja, that is your mom talking. <laughs> yeah, that is your mom. That is not you. And, you know, I just, I just learned to identify those. And it's, it's very helpful when people learn to do that. So what are some simple tools, you know, and I, I know that that's almost like an oxymoron, right? None of this is like a simple <laughs> fix. But for someone who's listening to this, that maybe this is sparking, you know, just like my experience of listening to your podcast, you know, a couple of years ago and thinking, 
all right, here's a shift. Here's a different way to approach this. You know, if someone's yeah. right now and, and experiencing that shift, which my gosh, I would be so honored <laughs> if that is happening. Wh what yeah. is a good step that they can take, you know, maybe in communication with a partner or, or with their child and with their stepchild as addressing something like this, if they notice this dynamic coming up? Um, I think one of the things that you could do before you talk to a kid or your partner is have a long, tough conversation with yourself. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, you guys, and say most of the stuff that you fear is a lie. Most of the stuff that you think is going to harm you, it, you're afraid of, that, you, that gives you anxiety on a day-to-day, -day, that's why we have anxiety. It is literally some distorted truths. And to go even further, like I mentioned, I noticed that I was speaking as my mother and being repetitive with the things that she said to me 30 years ago. I was like, Naja, who, who taught your mom to be like that? That was her mother. And then that was her mother. And that was her mother before. So I was like, you got generations of trauma. And back then, these women had to think like that. They had to. They did not have an abundance. They didn't know when their next meal was coming. They didn't even know where their families were, for God's sake. So I was like, Naja, you still have some of these survival traumas, but it's 2015 at the time. I remember telling myself, I was like, girl, it's 2015. This is not your life, but you're literally living someone else's fear over and over and over and every day. And so that's one thing I would encourage anybody to do. It's just, you got to get, you can do this yourself. You know, it's cool if you can go see a music therapist or you got, you call Brie, you book a session with her, but you know, you, you have a therapist to kind of help you to dig up some of that stuff, but you can do it with yourself as well. Yeah. And first you got to say, all right, what's the root of this? That's how I calm myself down a whole lot. Like now, even when other people are directing things at me, I'm like, Naja, this ain't really directed at you. They're, they're projecting their own crap onto you, but you know what? You don't have to absorb it. Yep. you know brush your shoulders off and keep hold your head high and keep walking so I think that's one thing I tell everybody like the, the stuff that you fear is not really real I'm not minimizing your fears or your pains anybody that's listening to this but I'm I'm telling you more than likely it's a lie that somebody else put there so it's not even your fear it's your mom's fear your dad's fear it's your great 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 grandpa's fear it's not yours though so hand it back to them um one of the other things I could I say you know, I could tell a person just in approaching situations like this is be really, be slow to speak. Be very slow to speak. A lot of times, and I get to talk a lot in my job, which is cool, but then I get to listen even more. And my job has taught me when to shut up because I wasn't good at that before I started doing this. But I realized people want to talk about their pains and how awesome would it be if your spouse or your soon-to-be spouse or your biological children or your stepchildren or a coworker um, would see you as a person that they can open up to. That, that is, a lot of us don't have that. You'd be surprised how many people, especially kids, I got so many kid clients because they can't talk to the darn parents. Yeah. And when they come to me, they literally just blah. It's like word vomit. They don't stop talking. They know that they're in a safe space. And, you know, we just, sometimes we talk about nothing mm -hmm. and, if you just be, I would say, be slow to, slow to speak. Take a beat. When a person finishes a statement, normally we'll stop talking and we'll wait for the other person to respond. Don't say anything. Just sit and look at them. Nod your head and smile. And that lets them know that it's okay to keep going. Because a lot of people, we're not accustomed to people listening to us. 
So we're kind of waiting on them to give us cues that it's okay. And then we know that we're probably going to be cut off. What if you're not that person though? Like that's, that's, and if you can handle being a person's repository, especially a young person, by all means, if, if you can handle it, then I say, do it, open yourself up to that. That is excellent advice. You know, I think that when we're in this role, um, you know, especially speaking from a perspective of a non-biological parent, and we almost are overcompensating for that lack of that natural of ability to know what to do or what we perceive <laughs> biological mothers know what to do. Uh, we, at least I speak for myself. I feel like I have to have the answers ahead of time, but you're right. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's okay. Nobody has all the answers. And if I'm just Literally sitting nobody. and listening, that might be more value than trying mm -hmm. to come up with the answer here. And most of the time, what I found is people will tell us the answer. We just have to kind of show them that they already know. My job is so easy, Bree. Like, people hire me to be a coach, you know what I mean? So they tell me on the first session, Naja, I want you to help me meet this, this, and this goal. Like they told me what they want. And then as I listen to them speak, I tell every client, I'm like, you know you just paid me all this money to tell you what you just told me, right? <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, if, and, but I feel like that's, some, that's a skill that we all have within us. If you learn to listen, people will tell you what they want and they'll tell you exactly what you need to do to help them to achieve that goal. Yeah. Just shut up and listen. Don't try to impose your own thoughts or your own traumas or your own opinions onto them. Let them do it. Um, people know themselves best, even kids. Like, yeah. You know, like it's our job to direct them for sure. But I mean, they, they kind of know how they want things done. Right. Kids are very particular. They have a whole agenda. You know, you look at an eight-year-old from the time they wake up, they got a tea party planned for you, then they want to do your hair, and then they want to watch um, whatever show they're going to watch. And, it, like, they have a whole agenda. So people will show you how they want uh, things to be run. Just got to be open to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, you know, one other thing that I want to put a spotlight on that you said, which is a, a whole another episode in itself. <laughs> is this opportunity that we have to break generational cycles of trauma. Mm, oof, you know, when yeah. we feel like, and you mentioned earlier, this feeling that we can get into of falling victim to something, when, when people feel like they are victim to this generational trauma, there's such power in knowing that you have the control to break that cycle. Yes. Yes. And it's, um, you know, the thing that I, I feel like keeps us in a cycle and I'm using, I use this word a lot because I realize this is how most human beings operate is fear. How do you break the generational cycle? How do you break any sort of cycle? Number one, you got to recognize that you don't like the pattern. So you recognize that there's some unhealthy uh, patterns that exist. And then you have to just really make the decision I am going to be the first one in my generation to not exist this way. I'm going to be the first one to look at things differently. And the things that happen, the thing that happens with generational stuff is it's like a family tradition. Sometimes people have family traditions of divorce or being single mothers or poverty or having lacks of education. That stuff is literally a family tradition. So then you got to go out on a limb and be like, I'm going to be the first one to go to college. I'm going to be, I'm not going to be a single, uh, uh, have kids out of wedlock as a teenager. I'm, I'm um, going to enter into healthy relationships. I'm going to do the work. 
because it's a lot easier to just stay with tradition. You right. know, that's why they're traditions. I mean, right. you know, we expect them, but you really literally got to make the decision that if I stay in this cycle, I won't live. I'm not saying you're going to drop dead. I'm just saying you're not going to live the best life that you right. possibly could in this very short amount of time that we've been given here on this earth. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. Not, I, I love a good tradition, but not all traditions are meant to be kept. <laughs> no, they're really not though. And we got traditions. In this country. We have a tradition in the history of racism. We have, and this is literally traditions. We have traditions of, look at the divorce rate. The divorce rate for first families is 50%. In this country, these things are the norm. Right. And don't let me even get on other countries. You know, there are some uh, deadly habits that a lot of us have even been victims to or been the victimizers. You know what I mean? So it's, it's up to us as individuals to make the decision. I made the decision a long time ago that, Miss Naja ain't going to be a victim of anybody's under any circumstances. And I encourage other people to not create victims by not being them themselves because victims create victims, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, not, not to be a victim of others, but not to be a victim of ourselves and our thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's exactly what will happen if we allow it. If I continue the victim, if I uh, continue a pathology of, not being financially abundant. Or if I continue a family history of having broken marriages, um, my dad's side of the family, for example, by the time all the girls are 16, everybody's got a baby. Every single girl has a baby. And that leads to a life of what? Poverty, poverty, miseducation, and then they're entering into other systems. So my mom and dad's family are so completely different because my mother's family, um, if you don't have at least a master's, then they kind of look at you like, you're the black sheep of the family. And so, you know, I had these two stark different views of people existing and I had a choice and I knew I didn't want to, you know, have kids as a teen. I mean, so I saw where that was not going to serve me to be having the type of life that I wanted to live. And so I chose the other route, you know, and I don't, I don't think it was that bad for me. I wouldn't do it any other way. That's for darn sure. Um, but I know everybody doesn't have those examples in their lives, though. They don't have um, families that literally juxtapose two different types of experiences. Because I saw what happened from start to finish. I saw what happened if you have a baby at 16. I also saw what happened when you finish your master's by 22. You know, I, I saw and I, I chose accordingly. But just because you don't have that example right there in your face, or just maybe you have only terrible examples. Maybe you have examples of drug abuse or physical abuse, like maybe you have, um, you know, things like that, but that does not mean that you're doomed. That means you have to seek the answers even further and look beyond, and I admire people that can go far beyond where they started. Some people never had a good example, but my God, they become such success stories because they had the foresight to fight, to break those, we can call them generational traumas, we can call them those family, those nasty family traditions. Again, that takes the work though, right? That, that deep yeah. dive into, you know, self-awareness like we've been talking about or, or those family cycles. I mean, that's, that's not knowledge that we, we just have naturally that is at the forefront and guides our, our conscience and our decisions. So it does take work, you know? Work, yes. 
And, you know, that's one of the reasons, again, you know, that I want to honor you for putting your story and your journey out there because it, it reaches people. It reached me. It made such an impact. And I, you know, again, I can't tell you how much it means to me that, you know, after kind of hemming and hawing about doing a podcast and and dragging my feet (laughs) for a couple of years in this, um, to, to have, to get to have this conversation with you is, is so meaningful to me. And it really speaks to what I wanted to accomplish with this, which is this idea of mutual mentorship. You know, uh, we're not just one person with all the answers, uh, talking down to everyone else. We're all constantly learning from one another. And the more that we share, I think we learn, you know, about ourselves too. And think, Mm, Oh, someone is relating to this. I'm not alone. Yeah. I, want to I think it's our duty to kind of give it away. Um, yeah. I, I've always said I want to, because I was raised and I've talked about references a couple of times. I was raised with, you know, money won't come. You got to save being a penny pincher. Um, I think when your hands are closed, you're not in a position to receive anything. Like what if somebody had something for me, but my hands are closed so tight that I can't even receive. I feel like knowledge and love are the same way. That's why I just, I give them away. Mm-hmm. And I've always been in a place to receive them because my hands are always open, meaning that I'm either giving something or I'm in a place to receive it. So mm-hmm. that's a beautiful way to live. That's awesome. Yes. So I've kind of gotten into this tradition, speaking of tradition, okay. um, <laughs> of, of closing the show by asking this question, you know, speaking of mentorship, what is a mentorship moment that stands out to you? It can be a time that you were a mentor to someone else or that you received mentorship from someone. What was one defining moment that really stands out to you when you think about this idea of mentorship? Hmm. Um, okay. You you didn't prepare me for this, but I think I got a good example. I realized that after I pressed record that I didn't tell you I was going to do that. So I apologize. It's okay. It's okay. okay. Because on my podcast, it's called, I know I'm crazy. And I had, I forced people to tell me why they're crazy. That's right. You probably gave me this idea. (laughs) Okay. So, but this, okay. I I think, um, I think of any successful, successful mentor, mentee relationship, in the end, the mentor kind of hands off the reins to their mentee and they themselves are in a position to learn. Because if you're, you're a mentor, that means you're kind of older or you're more seasoned in whatever your field of expertise is. And this new person coming up, you know how it is a young blood. They have a lot more energy. They have their ear closer to the streets. So they know the latest technology and thought processes and all that stuff. Um, so I remember one day I was talking to my stepdaughter and she, she's a teenager, the oldest one. And, um, from the first time she and I had an encounter, it was, and just to be quite transparent, it was awful. I think she was eight years old and her mother called, somehow found my number, called my phone and had the child to say all these awful things. Now I'd never met any of them. Never met anybody, you know, never seen them face to face. And it was just like, I hate you. I never want to meet you. I'm never going to talk to you. Like literally stuff like this, telling an eight-year-old telling me they hated me. And I just remember being so freaking shaken up by it. And so when she and I did meet face to face, the first time she looked at me, she, she ran behind her dad. She was afraid of me. She was, she was taught, positioned that I was a monster. 
Um, now, you know, mind you, I didn't know her parents when they filed for divorce. I didn't know her parents when they were married to each other. I didn't know these folks. Like I was in New York doing my own thing. And so because of my position in this family now, I was positioned as this evil monster and the reason that things are bad in our lives. Right. Um, and so she looked at me, she ran and just, she hid behind Tony's leg. And he's like, baby, you know, that's Miss Naja and this and that. And probably, and we were at like one of those Playland type of centers. I don't know, you know, where they have like sure, bowling yeah. and video games and stuff. And within 20 minutes, I kid you not, she and I were sitting in like one of those ball pits, throwing balls at each other, screaming to the top of our lungs, having fun. And I remember going into that meeting with so much fear, like this kid said she hates me. Of course, knowing that she, she didn't say, she, she didn't mean those words, but you know, I'm not, you know, I was just like, this is something I'd never experienced before. Like it was bad. And it went on for many, many years post that. But I remember our first meeting was so cool and all of that stuff came off of her. Mm. And then over the years, she was still prompted to say things like that. But what I would do, I would look at her and I'd say, you know, I said, you know, I love you. And I was like, I don't love you like your mom and dad love you. I said, it's, it's kind of different with us, you know, because I was like, your dad spent all these years telling me stuff about you. And I see how much he loves you. So I can't help but to love you. I said, but me and you loving one another, it's going to be a choice that we have to make. I said, your parents got to love you. Ms. Naja doesn't. I was like, so if I said, I just, one day I just ask that you choose, you can choose me, you know, choose me too, if you have it in your heart. And she was a little person. She was a little one. She may be 11 or so by the time we had this conversation. And then, you know, we, then we had like a year of being totally alienated. So we had to go to court and fight just for him to talk to the kids. And a few years after that, we had to go to court and fight for him to get his mandated um, summer visits. And that first summer visitation, she was 13 years old. So the time she was eight years old to 13, because it was a long, hellish road for us. Um, She's 13 years old. And I remember her just coming in our bedroom and, my husband and the twins were off somewhere. And she and I, like, I was like, girl, so tell me what's going on. And she told me all about her friends and this boy at school and the new game that she's playing and this and that and this and that. And I didn't, you know, I could not help myself. I, I probably wasn't the coolest thing to do. But I just looked at her and I was like, you know, I don't understand. I said, I don't understand you, dude. She was like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, I just don't understand how you have gone through everything that you've gone through as far as, you know, me being in your life and how you can just sit up here and talk to me like this. I was like, I don't think I'll be able to do that as an adult, as a person in their 30s. I was like, if I had been, you know, thought a person was all of this stuff, I wouldn't be able to to talk to them. And I was like, I said, you know, I really admire you. I was like, I want to be like you when I grow up. And she just started laughing. But I don't think she understood what I meant in that moment because this young woman, this young woman, this young lady, because she's only 15 now, this young lady possesses, I, I, don't, I still don't understand it. It's a lot like my husband's though, so she's just like her dad. She possesses this ability to compartmentalize, and I know she probably doesn't even know what compartmentalization is right now, and detach, and you know, she can detach from that survival, because you know, when you're eight years old and you're being forced to tell an adult you hate them, you're kind of trying to, you're doing what you got to do, right? You're being obedient, but then you're surviving. You're like, if I don't do it, I'm going to get in trouble. Right. I'm surviving. I was like, so, you know, you have a person that was kind of 
put in a position for many, many years where they just had to survive, but she can still look me in my face, have a very open, honest conversation with me, text me now for Mother's Day. Hey, I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Like, so that's a person that I constantly learn from. Even to this day, I don't, you know, I say, that I, you know, I'm going to probably do a study on her. And I tell her this because I was like, I just, you're so compassionate. And I don't think I would be able to do it. I don't think I would. So, you know, it takes a heck of an amount of strength. And I was telling my husband about that. And he was like, you know, now it's just kind of a testament to who you are as well. He was like, because if you were not loving with her and you did fit the mold of what she was taught that you were, then she would definitely have believed that. But she's like, you know, he said that you've proven all of those things to be a lie. You did not make her, you did not validate her fears. And I held back my own fears. And so, You know, I could kind of say, like, emotionally speaking, I got a little 15-year-old mentor because she's really, really good. And she wants to go into psychology as well. So that's an awesome thing for her. You know, so, yeah, that's that's probably a, a, a recent mentorship experience that I can remember where the student, where the teacher became the student because I myself thought I was a teacher. But all that time, I had been the student. I love that. That just makes me want to go text my stepdaughter and tell her I love her. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I can, I can resonate with that so much. And these kids uh, teach us a lot, Bree. You know, they teach us so much. Right. And we have to be willing to listen, you know, like you said earlier. Yes. Yes. That's so good. Okay. Out of respect for your very, very valuable time and talent. I just, I I could talk to you for the next 24 hours, but I won't do that to you. Um, This has just been so insightful. I know that it is going to impact others who are maybe starting to starting on a journey of of being in a blended family or maybe even, you know, has been on this path for a while or on on a parenting journey biologically or in a, in a a partnership. And, and maybe this gives another perspective or another lens to look at things through. That's my prayer. That's my hope that it does. Absolutely. How can people get in touch with you, Naja? You can find me, and I'm really easy, y'all. I make my behind very available all over the, my behind is all over the internet. Um, <laughs> you can go to my website, najahall.com, and it will take you to each and every one of my communities. If you're a person in blended family, it'll take you there. If you just want stepmom help, it'll take you there. All my social media stuff is on there. So if you just visit my hub, najahall.com, and, um, you know, click on some links, it'll direct you to where you need to be. And you absolutely are what you say that you are available. And for me, as just a fan and an observer, um, going out on a limb and responding to some of the questions you would put out there or the offers you would put out, you always write back. You always make that personal touch. And for someone who might be in a position where they're struggling to be seen and heard and, and trying to find their place in all of this, to have that type of validation it was so meaningful to me and I know that it must be the same for others. So again, I want to thank you for that. I thank you for reaching out, Brie, because like you said, you know, a lot of us are so wrapped up in the fear of rejection that we don't know when it could, you know, I'm, I'm glad I saw your message. Like don't take rejection as a person is directly rejecting you because maybe they didn't see it. Maybe they just, maybe they're in the hospital. You never know. So I'm just so glad that you had the kahunas to reach out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thankful and you've blessed me today with putting some extra stuff on my mind. So I appreciate you and what you're doing. Absolutely. That's that mutual mentorship. Oh, it's a beautiful yes. thing when we're open always, to Always be learning. Always yes, be learning. Yes, giving and receiving, hands open. I love so much of the imagery that you gave us today. Again, Naja, 
your, your time is so valuable and, and you've certainly blessed this, this podcast. And, and if you're listening today and something that you have heard really resonates with you or someone in your circle, your community could really benefit, please do share this with them. You can connect with myself uh, through a mindful mentor Bree on Instagram. You know how to reach Miss Naja. Uh, you can also check out this and all other podcasts at mindfulbree.com. Thank you so much for supporting this effort, for, for listening and sharing with others. As always, take care of yourself, take care of one another, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy.